Hey, I'm Emery Parker, here each week with my co-host Brooks Brunson. Hello! To discuss the forces shaping the Palmetto State and provide the context that gives it meaning. This is Understand South Carolina. This week, we're talking about a topic that's been cropping up in state houses across the nation in the last few months, abortion restrictions. We're joined by our features editor, Lauren Saucer, who used to be our health editor, and business reporter, Mary Catherine Weldman, who used to be a health reporter, to discuss South Carolina's history with abortion restriction bills and what kind of impacts we could see after our current session. Welcome to the show, Lauren and MK. Hi. Hi. Happy to be here. So far in 2019, six states have passed so-called heartbeat bills, prohibiting abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected, which usually occurs within five to eight weeks in most pregnancies. In South Carolina, bills dealing with abortion are nothing new to the state house. So, Lauren, can you start us off by giving us some history of abortion restriction bills in South Carolina? Sure. So, um, the way the legislative session works here in South Carolina, um, lawmakers meet regularly in Columbia for about the first six months of every year, from January to roughly June. In December... Right before they're headed back to work, a lot of lawmakers pre-file bills. And in each batch of pre-file bills, we almost always see bills that deal in some way with abortion. And in recent years, some of those bills have, have made it further through the legislative process than others. They deal with when women can get abortions, the manner in which abortions can be performed. They deal with material that women given before they can consent to getting an abortion. They sometimes deal with waiting periods. Um, There are a lot of different ways that lawmakers have come at the issue. That seems like a good place to get started because it seems like one of the things that we're seeing nationwide is kind of this new, maybe more aggressive um, approach by anti-abortion activists to write these laws that that are these like heartbeat bills or in the case of Alabama, just an outright ban on abortion. Whereas it seems like uh, over the past couple of decades, maybe what we've seen is more of kind of like a whittling away of uh, access to abortion through kind of the the more things around the periphery that you were mentioning. So can you it's like what what are some of the ways that anti-abortion activists have tried to um, kind of rein in abortions without outright banning them? So, for example, in South Carolina, a few years ago, there was a bill that further restricted who qualifies for an abortion. Previously, you could get an abortion in South Carolina up to 24 weeks in your pregnancy. And now, um, as of 2016, the limit is 20 weeks. So that's one example. You know, you used to have a longer period of time to have the procedure done. Now it's a shorter period of time. It's a little bit misleading because women who are getting abortions at that point in their pregnancy are not walking into a clinic to get one. Electively. What do you mean by that? Are you saying that by that point they're so far along that most clinics would not? There are only three clinics in South Carolina that you can walk into as an outpatient and get an abortion. There's one, there's a Planned Parenthood in Charleston, there's a Planned Parenthood in Columbia, and there's the Greenville Women's Clinic in the upstate. And to the best of my knowledge, none of those clinics, none of them perform them past the 14th week of a pregnancy. So if you're getting an abortion or terminating a pregnancy past that point, basically past the first trimester, you're getting it done in a hospital. I mean, would it be fair to say that most women that are getting an abortion after 20 weeks are probably getting it for a medical reason? Well, nobody in South Carolina is getting an abortion past 20 weeks. But yes, 
who they actually prevent. You know, it's kind of interesting to put that law in place because it seems like you're punishing more so the people that might need an abortion for medical reasons. The vast majority of abortions that are performed in South Carolina are performed within, I think, about eight weeks of a pregnancy. There are very small numbers of women who are getting abortions past the 14th week in this state, and they would almost exclusively be women who had been diagnosed with some sort of fetal anomaly or cancer or something like that. I mean, those numbers definitely track with uh, the national stats that I'm pretty familiar with. It's, um, I guess that this issue of late-term abortions has kind of been in the news lately, not so much here in South Carolina, but I think particularly um, there was this case in Virginia where the the governor kind of, kind of put his foot in his mouth a little bit in a radio interview trying to discuss this uh, reform that they had for, for late-term abortions. It seems like it, it's an issue where maybe the rhetoric around the topic and the facts on the ground are actually pretty different because it, for all the acrimony that exists about it, it's it, it's incredibly rare. It, it, like there's there's like single rare. digit cases in, in, in the in the whole country. In, and year. in the state, I'm almost certain there are single digit cases. Yeah, we're talking about single digits. The fetal heartbeat bill would, if it passed, still restrict abortions more than they are today. Right. You know? So I guess we should probably talk about specifically what that bill is. Yeah. Yeah. So like, what what is a fetal heartbeat bill in in broad terms? All it says basically is that if the, a fetal heartbeat is detected which happens at a gestational age of about eight weeks. I th- Eight weeks is early in my experience having children. <laughs> Usually your OBGYN won't set up an appointment until 10 or 12 weeks because it can be challenging to detect a heartbeat before then, but it's possible. I think it's, it's right. possible to detect it as, you know. Yeah, we have it from a story that, um, one of our reporters, Jamie Lovegrove, wrote that it can occur between five to eight weeks. So I'm sure that, there's a range. But that does match up with, um, so one of the Democratic representatives, Representative Bamberg, who I think represents Bamberg County. Um, but uh, he said something like, what this bill is going to do is effectively end abortion for these women even find out they're pregnant. Um, so to Lauren's point, right, like many yeah. women, I've never been pregnant. To Lauren's point, many women don't know they're Pregnant right. until that point. Another yes. interesting thing about it is the way that you count pregnancy, even if you're tracking your your cycle and you're and you know exactly the date that you conceived, the the day that you find out you're pregnant, you're probably at least what's technically considered four weeks pregnant. Because day one of the pregnancy is not the day that you have sex and conceive a baby. It's technically the first day of your last menstrual period. So you're dating it back two weeks before even you conceived. So by the time you actually find out you're pregnant, you're you're about a month pregnant at the, at the earliest. So it's it's basically a may function almost effectively as a ban. Is that basically right? I don't think so, no. But I mean, a lot of women find out they're pregnant when they're about four weeks pregnant. But in theory, what Representative Bamberg is saying is somewhat true because if, you know, most women don't find out they're pregnant until, what, four to five weeks. And in some cases, you can detect a heartbeat between five to eight weeks. There is some truth to that because, you know, what if you, you know, you don't know you're pregnant and then you can already detect a heartbeat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of what In some cases, yes. I, I imagine that I imagine that you would you would be disqualified before you even knew you were pregnant. So for the listeners out there who haven't been following um, what's been going on with these heartbeat bills. Um, as Emory said earlier, six states have passed um, one of these bills, which uh, effectively makes abortion illegal once a 
fetal heartbeat is detected. The states are, are Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi, and Ohio. There we go. Way, yep. We had a bill pass in the House um, before session was dismissed for the summer back in April or May. From my understanding, it passed in the House and it, it'll be revisited when the session resumes. The story is that they, they could bring it up. And they almost in, certainly will. Next year, in next year's yeah. Senate, Senator Shane Massey's indicated that he doesn't think that the votes are there for the heartbeat bill to pass in South Carolina. Of course, that's not a done deal. Well, I think I think um, it's worth mentioning some of the the pol- or some of the political fallout of um, some of these heartbeat bills. I mean, we just saw in Georgia the, the this very restrictive uh, bill was passed, and you now, of course, like Georgia, along with North Carolina and South Carolina, we're we're all pretty famous for attracting the film industry. And what you saw right when Georgia passed this is a lot of major motion picture companies. Saying, you know, maybe maybe we don't want to be doing business in Georgia if they're passing these these um, controversial laws. So, do, do we know we we're in a pretty pro business state? Do you think that's that's playing a role in like maybe why there aren't votes or? Um, it's possible. I would say it's really hard to speculate on that front. Yeah. Like what? Yeah. How businesses will respond to a heartbeat bill? Uh, the Atlanta Journal Constitution just did a really interesting story on June 10th about well they they surveyed major corporations in Georgia. And so it says here that the film industry spent $2.7 billion in Georgia. I don't know how much they spend in South Carolina, but I can't imagine oh, it's that much. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it's much lower. Yeah, it's much lower. So, so sure, the film industry has a big impact on Georgia, Georgia's economy. Right. But in terms of big corporations coming out against the heartbeat bill, that just really hasn't happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they kind of likened it back to uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. You, everyone might remember a couple of years ago when that was an issue. It created some business implications for Indiana, for North Carolina, right. for Georgia. Um, the same didn't play out in South Carolina, but that it the same isn't happening now in Georgia with this bill, which I think is an indication that the business community isn't as willing to take a stand on the abortion issue as they were a stand in favor of, for example, LGBTQ rights, which mm-hmm. is, that could be more of a consumer base. Yeah. Um, whereas I think, in my opinion, abortion is just a super personal issue right. that maybe businesses won't be as willing to. Definitely, I haven't been following following this maybe as much as you had, had MK, but that that's kind of interesting because my, uh, my perception was definitely that there was a lot of um, discussion about this, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess it was pretty much limited to this one industry, and this industry happens to be pretty liberal in the first place. So maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's why. So here, for example, they quote the Delta Airlines chief executive. I'm not looking to be a social activist. I'm looking to be the best airline CEO I can be. I'm not looking to run the company for the benefit of politicians or anybody else. The business community can make its own decisions. So you right. see him not willing actually at all yeah. to talk about it. Yeah. It's very sensitive too. I mean, you know, it's not something, I mean, I think it's a lot rare for a woman to come out and say, I've had an abortion, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not something that, you know, even if you have had one or you are pro-choice that it's as easy to come out and say as, I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. The support for, I did look it up and the latest Winthrop poll from February shows 70% of South Carolina residents believing abortion should be legal if the pregnancy was a result of rape or incest. I mean, that's just one figure, but does show that, you know, still the majority of South Carolinians want it to be legal, I guess, in some cases. So my, my understanding is that, okay, the last major reform 
that we had in South Carolina concerning abortion regulation happened in 2016. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So that law did not include exceptions for things like rape and incest. Is that correct? Right. Now, the, the heartbeat bill that's being debated, it actually does include exceptions for, for rape and incest. But it's, th- that's kind of an interesting point because a lot of people treat this as like this um, maximalist moral issue, right? It's, it's either, you either think it's murder or you don't. And if, if you do, if you think that, if you talk about it in those terms, that leads to kind of really a, a tricky position on this particular issue. And, and we see with, with some lawmakers, I'm going to find the quote, Representative Jonathan Hill from Townville, he's a Republican, says that if the victim of rape is not to be blamed, then why should the product of rape be blamed? So you see that there is some some controversy there and even here in the state on that on that point. And did you guys see another representative, Nancy Mace? You know, she came out and was advocating for there to be this exception for rape incest and even told the story on on the floor about how she was raped. She's a Republican, you know, and I think that probably would would probably lean more pro-life in general, but for this particular case was advocating that we have that exception in this heartbeat bill. And then I think that what Representative Jonathan Hill said was kind of in response to that. So it's a very touchy subject. It's interesting mm-hmm. that that's... Well, I think where, where it leads me, though, is that it seems like one of, the, one of the problems that cropped up after the 2016 law was that some doctors were actually confused about what would and would not be legal. Lauren, can you, I think you wrote the story about that. Can you? Yes, I think that there may be some cases where doctors were concerned. The exception that was written into the 2016 law, which I think was called the Pain-Capable Unborn Child Act, was that if not terminating the pregnancy would lead to the mother's death, then the procedure could be carried out. Yeah, I guess that, that's worth clarifying real, real quick is that when, when we talk about abortion laws, there's generally two categories of exception that are pretty common. The first is the one that we were just talking about, rape and incest. And then the second category of except, exemption is mother's health. And I think almost universally, almost every, it, like in every state, there it is legal to perform abortions to protect the, the life of the mother. But the, the issue... Or I guess the issue comes up when how how do you define that, you know? And I think that physicians are always going to err on the side of caution. So if you break the state law when it comes to abortion, you know, that's a crime. So they're always going to err on the side of caution. And what physicians have been doing, they've told me, is sending women out of state if if, if women can afford to do that. So, for example, let's say... You know, you get you're you're a pregnant woman and you go in to see your doctor and, and your fetal scan shows some sort of anomaly and it's very clear the baby is not going to survive outside the womb, but it's past the twentieth week of the pregnancy. If the woman is capable, the doctor is the do- doctors in South Carolina have been sending them to providers outside of South Carolina. Lauren, didn't you write a story explaining that a little more in depth about just like how many people like more people are leaving the state than actually getting them? Yes, I did. In December, we published um, a story that showed more women than not who live in South Carolina and need an abortion. Or who say they live in South Carolina. Who say they live in South Carolina are getting an abortion somewhere outside South Carolina. Generally, though, again, when we're talking about women who are terminating pregnancies, you know, during the second trimester, these are very small numbers. The vast majority of women who are leaving the state to get abortions are, are doing so in the first trimester. 
So why do you think they're leaving? I mean, if we do, so we have three operating clinics here, correct? It could be that they live in Rock Hill and the one in Charlotte is just closer. It could be that they can find a better price in Atlanta. You know, we live, we're a small state, so it's relatively easy to cross state lines. There's, you know, the shame factor. Maybe there's someone who'd rather not go to West Ashley. They'd rather drive down to Savannah just for the anonymity. There are there are a bunch of reasons why women might leave South Carolina. But what was interesting, and Emory helped me crunch these numbers, was that, in fact, more women are leaving South Carolina than anywhere else in the country. So, and these are women who are listing South Carolina as their primary address. And as we point out in the story, there is no way to confirm that's how that they where they actually live but mm-hmm. giving you know eleven thousand women the benefit of the doubt right. um more than any other place in the country people are leaving south carolina right. to get the procedure. no i mean like yeah i do think like that's a that's a fair caveat to point out and that was i just remember that being kind of a confusing part about reporting on the story and, and we got a, a little bit of pushback from a pro-life group on it but like, I'm just not sure, though, what the incentive would be. So, yes, it is it is the case that we only know that these women say they live in South Carolina and they got the procedure done in a different state. So I guess, like, the possibility is that thousands of women lied about living in South Carolina. I just don't know entirely what the incentive yeah, that, <laughs> would be that for weird. that. So, <laughs> so it seems reasonable to me to, to conclude that this is probably reflecting that they do live in South Carolina. But yeah, that's that's a fair caveat to point out. We don't know for sure that they did. It wasn't verified. They just said it. So Lauren, when you mentioned the price, I think um, one thing that's worth pointing out, because um, I don't I don't know that a lot of people necessarily think about this or even know it, but uh, like abortions aren't covered by insurance. So you've got to pay for them. So that that does make sense that people would maybe be um, looking looking for or you know com- kind of comparison shopping and, and maybe going out of state if it's cheaper. MK though, I know you wanted to mention something about Medicaid funding, but what was that? So the state does allocate some Medicaid funds, some yeah. state Medicaid mm-hmm. funds for Planned Parenthood. They don't pay directly for abortion. Right. Which of course has created some controversy. Um, because some argue that, well, if you're still using state funds to pay organizations like Planned Parenthood, they are basically shuffling around those finances and you're still supporting an abortion provider, right? Well, what I would say is that there's not like a line item in the state budget right. for Planned Parenthood. No. It's just that if you were providing these services and someone with a Medicaid card shows up at your door, you can file for reimbursement through the state Medicaid agency. But anyway, long story short, the and governor- they, and that, they weren't getting reimbur- and reimbursed for abortions. No. They were getting reimbursed for Family providing, planning. you know, guidance on birth control or you know getting an iud or something like that mm-hmm. kind of other women's health yeah. services oh yeah and that, that's another thing worth worth pointing out i mean again I, I don't know how many people know about it or think about it but planned parenthood's main business is not abortions it is providing health care to women um so there's yes. there's a lot of, of reasons why they would be getting like tax dollars from things like medicaid that has nothing to do with abortion so it's not yes that's surprising. definitely what planned parenthood would argue yeah um, so anyway, they, they tried to pass a ban on Medicaid funding for... Well, it was a veto. A veto of Medicaid funding for Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that... Well, the, um, the governor vetoed it from the budget, and then... So it was... The, they, it, it, it was challenged in was federal... Yes. Yeah. It was challenged in federal court. It's delayed there, basically. 
It's it's supposed to be taken up by a federal court in Richmond in September. Oh, so this is still going on. It is still, yeah. I mean, in federal courts, everything takes months and wow. months. So, but currently, um, Planned Parenthood is still getting Medicaid funding here, correct? Until this, yes. until the veto, yes. Depending on what the ruling is, yeah. Okay. Depending on what the ruling is, but you know, Emery was just pointing out other attempts earlier on in our conversation. Emery was pointing out different attempts to sort of restrict abortion. In South Carolina, this would probably fall under that category. This is another example. I mean, like, let's say that it goes through and Medicaid can no longer fund Planned Parenthood, right? It feels to me like a lot of these things don't actually impact people getting abortion, but just are more of a political stance, right? I mean, maybe I'm... I think that people who... I think that lawmakers who introduce have introduced these bills feel really passionately about the position that they're taking. And increasingly, science is capable of keeping very, very small infants alive. And so as these laws move through the courts and, and maybe, you know, higher and higher they go, you know, it'll, it'll be interesting. I, th- I mean, I don't think that I don't think that lawmakers who are introducing these are doing it to make a political point. I think. Many of them feel very, very strongly that they're protecting life and, you know, that they have the moral cause on their side. I think it's important to point out, too, that, first of all, I think that's definitely true. And second of all, the undercurrent for all of these heartbeat bills has been um, the appointment of Brett Kavanaugh and right. just the overall effort to have a, an abortion case basically heard before the Supreme Court. Right. So, and I just think that that's what lawmakers feel would be perhaps the most expeditious way to, to ban abortion. But my point was, you know, with this Medicaid thing, though, I mean, you're not actually impacting abortions. You're impacting people's ability to get birth control access, right? Well, I mean, I guess it depends and what, that's, your, what your perspective in is. In a very so. practical way, though, I mean, that like the Medicaid funding issue, that impacts Planned Parenthood's finances. Planned right. Parenthood runs two of the three abortion clinics and state is it a major portion of their budget i honestly don't know it's not it's yeah it's likely not i guess i guess to, to bring it bring it back to uh the main thing that we started talking about though i i'm glad that you mentioned brett kavanaugh the um new supreme court justice so like i mentioned earlier it feels like there's kind of a shift in at least in the national politics around abortion restriction in in the tactics of anti-abortion activists for a long time now, basically ever since Roe versus Wade, I think what we've seen is legislative attempts by uh, anti-abortion activists that are premised on on the idea that they can't ban abortion, but they can make abortions hard to get and they can reduce the number of abortions. And so I think that's kind of been the legislative goal that we've seen for a while. It seems like in the past couple of years is really how really when we've seen the rise of these heartbeat bills and and outright bans and the stated goal in a lot of these cases is in fact to write a law that they know probably does violate Roe versus Wade but they want to have it be challenged in court and eventually make it all the way up to the Supreme Court I think so the Arizona Republic um, which is owned by the same company as USA Today mm-hmm. um, that network of reporters did an investigation pretty recently about um, sort of the the language of abortion bills and found that the fetal heartbeat bills date back to like 2011. Yeah. And this group in Ohio basically drafted some legislation sort of around the fetal heartbeat. And so they've been revived, I think, over the years, but haven't gained much traction. Of course, as we've pointed out already, legislators have caught on that there may be a chance now 
with the change in ideology on the Supreme Court that there's more of a chance to have these bills. Well, so I guess I guess my big question, though, and um, I know it's hard to speculate, but do your best. <laughs> do you think that we're going to see a change in tactics here in South Carolina? Or do you think that some of these more controversial bills are going to start getting more traction? Or do you think it's going to be like it has been? Yeah. <laughs> Too hard to say. Yeah, hard I mean, say. Th- there, there, are, there are groups on both sides of this issue, and each of them have very specific legislative agendas, and they typically advance those agendas through the gem- General Assembly, and sometimes those bills pick up traction and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. But what you see happening in other states is, is, is happening here. Right. I think, too, that in the past, well, there have been abortion bills pretty much every year, but in the past, an issue has been that the Republicans can't coalesce around which of the which of the pieces of legislation should be their priority and just in general where their priorities lie with abortion. Right. And so for anything to advance or change, I think we would need to seek more of a coalition among the Republicans. But it's also worth pointing out that, you know, there have been updates to our abortion laws in South Carolina periodically for the last decade or more. So it's not unheard of for the laws to change in South Carolina. Yeah. It's a good place for us to leave it. Yeah. MK, do you feel like you understand South Carolina better? I feel like I understand South Carolina better. Well, you learn. Sure. <laughs> what about you, Brex? Yeah, totally. I, you know, I didn't actually realize all the context of somehow I just missed the twenty-week ban law about that it happened a few years ago, and kind of didn't know the broader history and context of abortion restrictions in South Carolina. So, thank you both for joining us and enlightening us. Welcome. Emery, do you understand South Carolina better? Yeah, I do. I, the uh, the thing that I genuinely didn't know going into this, um, I, I think I just kind of, I think that to me, South Carolina abortion laws have kind of just a little bit flown under the radar. Maybe it's just because other states are passing more controversial things. But um, it's it's interesting to know that, you know, we, we're as controversial as, as the best of them, I guess. <laughs> Certainly. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. All right, and that's all. Understand South Carolina is a production of The Post and Courier in Charleston. Our theme song is by Billy Fountain. You can stream his music by searching for Billy, that's with an I-E, Fountain, on Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think about the show. You can get in touch with us by emailing understandsc at postandcourier.com, or, of course, you can tweet at us with any questions or comments. And if you're a fan of the show, please take a second to like us and leave a rating on the Apple Podcast Store. See y'all later. See y'all later.